Well, it's very nice to see you all this evening, dear sisters. It is a privilege for me to come to the great state of Kentucky, all the way from the great state of California. I'm talking slowly. My wife said, make sure you talk slowly for a little while. That's to help you tune in to the frequency of my wonderful Scottish accent. I know you all listen to Alistair Begg, but he sounds American to me, uh, even though he sounds Scottish to you. And that's because he's been here a little bit longer. But it is important to help you to tune in to my frequency so that you will get the benefit of the ministry of the Word of God to your hearts uh, tonight and, Lord willing, tomorrow uh, in our time of conference. Um, I do bring you the greetings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sacramento, California. As a Scotsman, Sacramento is a great word to say. I enjoy saying Sacramento. Um, and I do bring you the greetings of our, our folks. And I want to thank Pastor Jim for the invitation. When he asked me to come and he said, Elaine can come with you, it was a done deal. <laughs> Had he not offered for Elaine to come, maybe I would have refused. But no, it's good to be here. I like to travel with my wife, and as I'm getting older, I've got no interest to not travel without my wife. Um, so there's always better preachers out there than me. You can have someone else preach to you, but if my wife's invited, I'll come. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why we're, we're thankful to be here tonight. Uh, we've had a good time already in Kentucky, and Lord willing, uh, we'll have a good time with you over the weekend. I do invite you to turn to John 15. And uh, Becky has already read a portion of John 15. I'd like to expand that reading a little bit. We will incorporate those verses that uh, Becky read. But I want to uh, really use John 15 this evening to lay down uh, the backdrop to everything that I'm going to be saying to you tonight and Lord willing tomorrow. Uh, vitally important for us to set this topic uh, of friendship into a biblical context. And that's really what I want to do uh, this evening. So let's take John 15. Let's just read from the first verse. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As a Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, We thank you for the joy of Christian fellowship. We thank you for the blessing of having your word in our own language, that we might read it, that we might study it, that we might believe it, and that we might live it out in our lives. We ask now, our Father, that you would come by the ministry of your Spirit. You might reveal afresh to us something of the beauty of your Son and the glory of of your gospel, that in trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, who alone is able to save us from sin, we might also learn what it means to be truly friends of Christ and of one another. So, Father, bless our time together this evening, we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. From the very dawn of time... The whole idea of friendship has existed amongst men and women. Every human society, no matter when it has existed, has had concepts or does have concepts and ideas of what friendship is and what friendship looks like. If you were to look up a definition of friendship, In a dictionary, you might find something like this. Friendship is a state of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust between two people. God blessed me with three daughters before he gave me my boy. My wife is convinced that was his providence to soften me as a man. In a good way, in a healthy way. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I grew up in a home where there was just me and my brother, and we were sports daft, and we were just normal guys. And having girls certainly made me a much more, I believe, tender individual. But one of the things we would do with my girls was, of course, watch girl things. (laughs) Such as Anne of Green Gables. And my girls loved Anne of Green Gables. My oldest girl has red hair, so she thought she was Anne. And her best friend at church, she had dark hair, so she was Diana. And of course, we lived all of that fun kind of stuff out. But you know that even in Anne of Green Gables, this whole issue of friendship, desire for friendship, and a bosom friend... Is played out in that wonderful series. 
uh, Anne declares this, a bosom friend is what I want, an intimate friend, you know, a really kindred spirit to whom I confide my inmost soul. I have dreamed of meeting her all my life. I never supposed I would, but so many of my loveliest dreams have come true all at once that perhaps this one will too. Do you think it is possible? Now, there's a lot there that's worth reflection, but you know and I know that this is a very romantic notion regarding this subject of friendship. And as I come to speak to you this weekend on this subject, I want you to be aware that we're not going to think of romantic friendship in our considerations, though that is a subject maybe for another time. But rather, we're going to think of what I'm really calling biblical friendship. We're going to think about what I'm calling spiritual friendships. And how it is that biblical friendship and spiritual friendship is that which is worth having and that which is worth pursuing. We all have concepts of friendship. And friendship is a wonderful subject, but in three sessions with you, I really want to zoom in, close in on the subject of friendship by thinking about it in terms of biblical friendship, spiritual friendship. And I'm going to do it by considering three elements. I want to, first of all, tonight, show you something of biblical friendship demonstrated and defined. I'm going to look at John 15. Then tomorrow, Lord willing, in our first session, we'll consider the difficulties of biblical friendship. We need to be aware that the pursuit of, the establishing of, the maintaining of biblical friendships is difficult. It's not an easy reality, and no doubt you're aware of that. And then we're going to consider, finally, uh, in our last session, the delights of biblical friendship. For to have genuine biblical friendships is one of the great blessings of the grace of God to us in our Christian lives. We aren't called by Christ to get to heaven on our own. We're called by Christ to get to heaven in the community of his saints. And we want to think about that in our last session. So we're going to look tonight at biblical friendship, what I'm calling demonstrated and defined, particularly from John 15, verses 9 through 17. And then tomorrow, biblical friendship, it's difficulties. And then biblical friendship, uh, it's delight. So come with me into John 15 this evening. And let's unpack something of uh, what we have here in our Lord's discourse in the upper room. Uh, John 13 to John 17 is one of the great passages of the New Testament. Here is a very intimate time. Our Savior is on the very cusp, if you will, of going to the cross. This is his last supper. This is his night with his disciples uh, before he will die. This is the night he will be betrayed. This is the night he will give much instruction uh, to his disciples regarding what is to come after he rises from the dead and ascends to glory. This is a very important passage in the New Testament to give us understanding uh, of uh, Christ. And his work. 
He's already declared to them, as John records it in John 14, his uniqueness, his exclusivity. That well-known text that you know off by heart. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's why Christianity is so controversial. Because Jesus is an exclusive saviour. Jesus is a unique saviour. There is none like Christ. He alone is the only one who reconciles us to God. He alone is the only one who redeems us from our sins. He alone is the only one who has come from the Father to accomplish redemption. And so he's making exclusive, unique statements to his apostles. He's now moving to tell them of the importance, essentially, of perseverance in the Christian life. And he does this with this well-known, I am, I am the true vine. You know it well, this text in John 15. And our Savior, he calls his apostles to be fruitful. He calls his apostles to be those who are abiding in him he calls his apostles to be persevering in faith and it's in this context that our savior introduces the subject of biblical friendship of friendship with him and of friendship with one another and that was the text that becky particularly read to us there in verse 13 you know it well greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends and you know the allusion clearly is to our savior going to the cross in a few short hours uh, to accomplish the redemption of all those that the father gave to him from before the foundation of the world so uh, as we think about this issue of biblical friendship there are three uh, truths that I want to impress upon you this evening, really by way of introduction, by way of setting context for everything that we'll look at tomorrow. Vitally important that we lay the subject of biblical friendship in a biblical framework so that we're clear about, we are, about what we are talking about and what we're not talking about. We're not talking about your friends from high school. We're not talking about your friends that you play golf with. If you were a man, you probably play golf if you're a woman, whatever you go shopping with or uh, you crochet with or whatever. My wife loves to crochet. Uh, she hasn't got any crochet friends, but uh, I'm her crochet friend. I'm watching the soccer. She's crocheting on the sofa. Um, so I'm not crocheting. But, but the reality is we're not talking about just those natural uh, acquaintances that we all have, right? We're thinking here about something uh, different. We're thinking here about spiritual friendship, biblical friendship. And as we think about that which is demonstrated by our Savior and defined by our Savior, I want you to see, first of all, that demonstrating and defining biblical friendship arises from the person and work of Christ himself. Demonstrating and defining biblical friendship arises from the person and work of Christ himself. Now, what do I mean? I mean this. When it comes to biblical friendship, you don't define it and neither do I. God does through his son. God is the architect. God is the creator of this reality called biblical friendship or spiritual friendship. And it's critical for us to understand this as Christians. We're living in a day when everything's getting redefined. 
right? I'm in California, uh, you know, don't worry, California's coming to a town near you soon. That's the reality of America, okay? But our confidence isn't in America, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but the reality for us to understand is this, that when it comes to our Christian lives, right, either in general or in specifics, Jesus Christ in his person and his work is at the center. He is all in all, right? It is to him and through him and for him that all things exist. So when it comes to definitions, he defines reality. So when we have the issue today of what is love, right? We're the big hot potatoes, right? No, no one in California is going to be put to the stake for the doctrine of justification by faith alone. You know why? Nobody understands the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But tell them what love is and what it isn't. They're coming for me. That's a fact. That's a fact, right? Tell them what marriage is and what marriage isn't. They're coming for me. Tell them what a man is and a man isn't. They're coming for me, right? They're not coming for me for the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That was Martin Luther's battle. That's not my battle. Would to God they even understood justification by faith alone in Christ alone, right? No, we're at a much more base level of reality now. So who defines what love is? Who defines what marriage is? Who defines what a man and a woman is? The creator of the universe. The God who is love defines what love is. And the one who is the greatest friend of all, he defines what friendship is. And that's what I want us to think about tonight from John 15. I want you to see this. When it comes to uh, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, declaring to his disciples in the upper room, in this intimate moment of preparation for the cross, preparation for the post-resurrection time in their lives, our Savior here is speaking to them about friendship. He's speaking to them about friendship with him and friendship with one another because they're inseparably connected. They're inseparably connected. And here our Savior, uh, as the divine Son, come in the flesh to make enemies of God, friends of God, is laying out for us the reality of what friendship actually is. So if you want to know what friendship truly is, don't go to the dictionary, don't go to Anna Green Gables, go to Jesus, go to Christ. He will define it for you. He will help you. And that's really what I want us to be thinking about over these three sessions together. So we're, we're, we're rooting it all in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is Christ who has come. It is Christ who has lived and died and risen from the dead. It is Christ who has ascended into glory. And it is Christ then who has demonstrated for us in his life and death and resurrection what friendship is and he defines it for us. So we look at his life to see the demonstration of it, the example of it, and we listen to his teaching in order to understand what it really is all about. So when we think of him demonstrating what friendship is, we have it here in the text that we read. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus 
demonstrates friendship to be. And then he defines it for us in that he says that you shall love one another as I have loved you. So we see the demonstration of it, we see the definition of it, and we need to be very clear then that it is Christ that we're watching, it's Christ that we're seeing, and it's Christ that we're listening to if we're going to understand biblical friendship. We're not looking to psychologists, we're not looking to sociologists, we're not looking to romantic novels, we're looking to the Lord of glory. The one who comes and makes us friends of God through his life, death, and resurrection. And the one who teaches us the way of friendship by his instruction to us in his word. And so we see then that demonstrating and defining biblical friendship, it is, it is arising from the person and work of Christ. But notice secondly, demonstrating and defining biblical friendship is established. In us, through saving union with Christ. Biblical friendship is established through saving union with Christ. The reality is this. You cannot be a biblical friend to anyone else, nor have biblical friends in all that God speaks of, unless you are a Christian. Unless you are in Christ. And this is what our Savior's basically saying to his disciples here. The whole passage in John 15, uh, that's why I wanted to expand it and read it, is all about one simple thing. Abiding in Christ. And whenever you see the term in Christ in the scriptures, and Paul uses it many times, where did he get it from? He got it from Jesus, right? What is he talking about? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's in all his epistles. He's talking about spiritual union with Jesus Christ. And so if we are to understand uh, truly uh, how this friendship that Jesus demonstrates and defines in his life, death, and resurrection becomes ours, how we participate in biblical friendship, we must understand that we must be in Christ for it to happen. There must be a coming into Christ ourselves. There must be an abiding in Christ. Jesus assumes this here of his, his apostles. He's actually exhorting them again and again, right? I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, some have argued that Jesus is teaching you can be saved and lost in this passage. He's not teaching that at all. He's teaching here that you must persevere as Christians. He's teaching here that to be in Christ, you will bear fruit. Um, he's warning us that a fruitless life is likely a graceless life. And therefore, we must be aware of that. But notice what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, there's that language, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, you can't be a biblical friend to anyone. You can't have biblical friends unless you're in Christ. 
unless you've been born again of the Spirit of God, unless you become new creation. Why? Well, because uh, the reality is that biblical friendship, by its definition, is a spiritual reality that only Christians can experience. Only Christians can experience this. You can have natural friendships, and we all have them, right? Uh, and we can have some pretty good natural friendships, right? I, I have the privilege of being the, the chaplain for the Sacramento uh, Republic soccer team. Um, just to let you know, Louisville FC came to play us at the beginning of the season, and we won 5 nothing. That was really nice. Um, I'm very good friends with a team administrator here in Louisville, and he said he still has post-traumatic stress from that visit back to Sacramento because he used to work for us. But, but I have many friends in the soccer world that are natural level, right? We talk soccer, right? Which is the only sport in the universe, by the way. But the reality is, it's natural. It's just a, a, a natural acquaintance. It's not spiritual, right? I get opportunity to speak of Christ to them. I, I get opportunity to tell them the gospel. And in that sense, there's a spiritual dynamic going on. But I do not have the connection the spiritual connection I have with my brothers in the church, with those who are also in Christ like I am by the grace of God, right? And we must distinguish this. We're living in a day, it seems to me, where there's been a lot of pressure put on the church to become as like the world as we possibly can become in this false notion that somehow the world is going to like us and want to believe in Jesus. That is so defective theologically that now we're bearing the fruit of all of that, right? Brothers and sisters, listen. It's very important to realize Christ has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. So we should be able to engage with the world and, and, and engage with the unsaved. And as I say, um, different opportunities, we, we want to cultivate that. We want to love. We want to be gracious. We want to be kind. We want to be spiritual to the world. But listen, that is not that natural relationship is not the same as the spiritual relationship that is produced by the Spirit who has brought you from darkness to light to believe in Jesus, who's brought you from death to life to be a new creation. There is a bond. There is a union. There is a dynamic that comes by the work of the Spirit in our hearts that cannot be mimicked in the world, that cannot be replicated in the world. And we should, as God's people, recognize this and be aware of this, that when it comes to demonstrating and defining biblical friendship, it is established in our lives, we begin to experience it in our lives, through our union with Jesus Christ that has come to us by grace. The grace of God makes a difference we mustn't be ashamed of that we mustn't downplay that now of course if it's true grace we won't be arrogant about it we won't be boastful about it we won't be proud about it because we know don't we what do we have that we have not received by the grace of God but neither must we eradicate it from our conversation from our perspective from our our view of life and the world right there is a very clear line between those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. And it will be very clear on the final day. That dynamic. And so as we work through it in this life. As we work through it in our relationships in this life. We must be very clear. That the way that we will be biblical friends. 
ourselves. And the way that we will have biblical friends is that we will be ourselves first and foremost in Christ. It's possible that you've come to a conference such as this and you're not yet in Christ. It's possible that you've come to a conference to hear on friendship and you have your own preconceived ideas and now I'm kind of demolishing some of that and you're kind of wondering, but let me encourage you. The most important relationship that you need in your life isn't a nice girlfriend to have coffee with or a nice girlfriend to share your deepest, most problems with. The most important relationship you need is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to come to know Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ, to become uh, a child of God through the one who is the friend of sinners. And we sung such an appropriate hymn at the beginning tonight to think that through. I thought, well, I could just preach this hymn. It's so wonderful. But the reality is, you might have come and you're not a Christian yet. My dear sister, my dear friend, I want to say to you, (coughs) sort out your relationship with God first. See your sin for what it is, an offense of a holy God. See your need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and forsake your sin. And become a friend of God. Once you become a friend of God, it will open up a whole world of women who, like yourself, have been lost, but now have been found. Were blind, but now they can see. Were dead, But now they're alive. Why? Because of the grace of God to them in Jesus Christ. And come to Christ that you might then, by being in Christ, experience those wonderful blessings that are promised to us through our union with Christ. And you know the catechism. The three blessings of justification, sanctification, and adoption. Those are the blessings that Christ secures for us through his life, death, and resurrection that he bestows upon us as a result of his grace for us in his life and death and resurrection. I want to encourage you tonight that you would not go home outside of Christ, but that you would come to Christ, trust in Christ, find in Christ the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the blessedness of becoming a child of God. Then the door opens for biblical friendship. A whole different category of friendship than the natural friendships that we experience in our lives. And so as we think about this issue, we must think about it in terms of the fact that biblical friendship is demonstrated and defined uh, by the personal work of Christ, it comes to us as a result of our union with Christ, our coming into Christ. And then finally, I want us to think about it in a third way. Demonstrating and defining biblical friendship is about understanding the love of Christ for us and then our responsibility to reflect that in our relationship to others. So demonstrating and defining biblical friendship is about understanding the love of Christ for us and our responsibility to reflect it in relating it to others. And that's exactly what Jesus teaches his apostles here in John 15. Let's walk through it together. Let's notice verses 9 through 17. First of all, 
that Christ's love for us is rooted in his relationship with his Father. Notice verse 9. Verse 9 As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, there's enough in that, dear sisters, to meditate on for a month. Right? Think about it for a moment. Right? Here is the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, become flesh. Speaking to his apostles on the night of his betrayal, knowing full well what's going to happen in the morning. And he says this very clearly. If you, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. He's declaring to them the manner, the kind of love that he has for his apostles. What's the kind of love that the Son has for us? It's the same kind of love that the Father has for him. Now, let's just pause for a moment and let's just think about this. What kind of love does the Father have for the Son? It's an eternal love. Right? Now, I can't explain that to you. I just can tell you, right? When you start to think about eternity, I don't know about you, my head begins to hurt, right? I kind of just go, it's explosive, right? I preach it, but I have no idea, really, what eternity is. I know what temporality is, because I live there, right? But eternity? But here's Jesus. God become man. God in the flesh. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I want you to think about my love for the Father so that you grasp, or the Father's love for me so that you grasp my love for you. So it's an eternal love, right? When you think about that, I remember Ted Donnelly many years ago saying this, and we talked about it afterwards. He said, there was, a, there was never a time where God started to love you as a Christian because he always loved you loved you. That just blows my mind. He always loved me. Was it like you go back eons, whatever that is, into eternity, whatever that is, and God says, now I'll start loving you. No. The eternal God always loved us. (laughs) Because he always loved his son, who is the eternally begotten of the Father. So here's Jesus and he's saying to his apostles, as the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. You see, I've loved you eternally. Always loved you. Even before I became a man, I loved you. Before the world began, I loved you. Here's his apostles, and they need some encouragement because he's going to depart soon. They need some grounding in good old Trinitarian theology, right? And they're getting it here at the lips of Jesus. But not only that, his love is not only eternal, right? His love is what? It's perfect. It's a perfect love. Isn't it? Holy. Without blemish. Not tarnished in any way. Perfect love. That's what the Father has for the Son. That's what the Son has for us. And so here's our Lord. And, he's, and what is he doing? He's, he's walking his apostles through the wonder. The wonder of the love of God. And there's a reason for this. Because he wants them to experience it. He wants them to 
know it. He wants them to grasp it. He wants them to understand it. Why? Well, because they're going to see he wants them to reflect it. Right? You can't reflect something that you don't understand, that you don't know. Right? And here, our Savior is talking about the love of the Father for him so that they would understand then his love for them. And he's talking about a love that's eternal, a love that is perfect. And I think very clearly, as we're going to see, it's a sacrificial love. Right? For God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Right? It's a love that gives. It's a love that sacrifices, right? It's a love, you could argue, that pursues sacrificially, right? And so here we see then our Savior, and he's setting out very clearly his desire that his his disciples would understand what biblical friendship is all about, first by understanding something of his love for them. And he roots it. He, he bases it in the Father's love for him so that they might grasp something then of his love for them. Eternal love, perfect love, sacrificial love. And then notice what our Savior goes on to say here. If you, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Right? Live your life out. In the light of my love. Isn't that interesting? Not my holiness, though it's holy love. Right? Not my sovereignty, though it's sovereign love. It's love that he emphasizes. It's love that he sets before them. Abide in my love. I want you to grasp it. I want you to feel it. I want you to experience it. I want you to know it, my dear apostles. That you would understand that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Live your life out in the light of it. Basking in the glory of it. In the wonder of it. In the majesty of it. My love. That's what you've got to understand as as a Christian. And so our Lord informs his apostles. That it is love like this that he has towards them. And he wants them to have towards each other. Because you see, that's really where this is going, isn't it? Our Savior then reminds them, right, that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Very interesting. He introduces the law here. And we live in an age that's really very strange to me uh, as a Christian, having been persuaded in my young years of the importance of living a An obedient life, right? The the word obedience is fallen on hard times. Seems it's a neglected term now, right? The minute you introduce obedience into your sermon, there's somebody in the congregation thinks you're preaching legalism. Right? It's just a fact, right? Certainly in California have found that. What they don't understand is this. I never would preach obedience to be saved. But to remind you that obedience comes if you are saved. And there's a world of a difference. That's what the Reformation was fought about. Right? Jesus is not saying here to his disciples that they are in some way to obey the commandments of God to get right with God. He's saying, if you're right with God, you want to obey the Lord. Live for the glory of God. Right? Now think about what the sum of the law actually is. I had a conversation uh, 
in my own congregation about this not too long ago. What is the sum of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God. So there's the first one, love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there's love again. So what is it? Love plus love equals? Ah, love. There it is. Right? Actually, understanding the gospel, the love of God for us in Christ, leads us to delight in our obeying the law, which is to love God and love our neighbor. And here Jesus is teaching this very reality when he declares, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how do we, how do we abide in God's love? It's not just we sit there and look for some warm, fuzzy feeling. Right? God forbid we do that. It is that we are informed in righteousness. We're informed in truth. We're informed in the character of God. We're, inf- we're informed in what God requires of us. And because our hearts have now been changed by the love of God in Christ through the work of the Spirit, we want to please our Father. And we do that by obeying him. And we do that by obeying his law, his commandments. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. I love this. He introduces joy, right? Uh, There's no doubt that there are a lot of Christians who will say they have joy in their hearts. They just fail to tell their face. And that's a challenge, right? That's a real challenge. The reality is that we want to encourage one another to enjoy God, right? What does the shorter catechism say? What is the chief end of man, right? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you like being a Christian? Do you enjoy being a Christian? I didn't say his life tough at times. That's a different issue. But do you enjoy being a Christian? I love being a Christian. I do. I don't want to not be a Christian. You know what Martin Luther used to say to people when they would come pastorally and say to him, I don't think I'm a Christian. Uh, I I don't believe that I'm really saved. Martin Luther would say, okay, that's fine. Just go out and live as you want then. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. Well, it seems like you must be a Christian. Why? Because the reality is, you see, when your heart is new creation, with all the battles against sin that we have, dear sisters, and we have many, we still don't want to displease God. We want to please him. For all our weaknesses, for all our struggles, we want to please him, don't we? And of course the reality is, uh, we know, don't we, that that the more we're pursuing God and enjoying God and, and seeking to live for God, the more joy we have in our life. Right? That doesn't mean we're always smiling and happy, right? You lose a loved one standing at their grave, weeping your eyes out, right? That's a very painful experience. And yet there's a great paradox, isn't there? Because there can still be the joy of the Lord in the heart at that particular moment. Why? Well, if they're a Christian, because you know. They're absent from the body and they're present with the Lord. And the sting of death has been taken away. Not the pain, not the sorrow. That is a reality. But you've got assurance. One day you'll see them again. One day all will be made new. And it gives you a quiet strength of joy in your heart. That joy in the Lord, right? So Jesus here, Jesus wants us to enjoy him and to be joyful. Not in some plastic, fake way. But rather in the fact that when we're living for the glory of God, we'll be enjoying him. 
And there will be joy in that, even though at times it can be very hard and very challenging and very difficult. And then Jesus goes on and he says this. He wants our joy to be full. And then he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he sums the whole thing up, right, in this. Once you've apprehended the love of the Father for me and my love for you, I want you now to reflect it in your love for each other. And here's where we get down to the definition of friendship. Here we get down to the clarity of Christ regarding what friendship actually is. Biblical friendship, this is what I'm defining it as, is a relationship arising from saving union with Christ that is demonstrated and defined by the grace of Christian love. Biblical friendship is a relationship arising from saving union with Christ that is demonstrated and defined by the grace of Christian love. That's what we'll be thinking about tomorrow when we get to the difficulties and the delights. The difficulties of demonstrating the grace of Christian love to each other. Let's be honest. You don't just jump out your bed in the morning and say, hey, I can't wait to love a bunch of people. It's just going to be wonderful. If you're married, it doesn't... You know, as you get older in marriage, I've got a wonderful marriage. My wife is here. But I can honestly say that, you know, we don't just jump out of bed in the morning and say, hey, how many ways are we going to love each other? I didn't get my wife coffee this morning. She was still in bed. Kudos for me. But the reality is she won 2-1 because she'd already done it two mornings in a row. And I felt bad, so I did it this morning. But, but the reality is, right, we have to face the fact, right, that loving one another is hard work. And we'll think about that. And yet... It's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. Jesus has already told these men in this upper room, and yes, they were men, and yes, he was telling them to love, right? All this talk of machoism really at times gets annoying to me, right? Not because I'm a softie, but because I actually think that real men know how to love well and are gentle men. There's a reason for that term, by the way. Not macho men, gentle men. Big difference, right? But here's the reality, okay? That our Savior has told these men, the world will know that you are my disciples because you will have love one for another. Love one for another. The great ethic of the Christian faith is love. And so when it comes to biblical friendship, dear sisters, at the very heart of biblical friendship, arising from saving union with Christ, which you need, because you need the work of the Spirit. Without Christ, you can do nothing, right? Right at the very heart of it is the grace of Christian love. And we're going to think about the difficulties of that tomorrow. We're going to think about the delights of that tomorrow. So that, by the end of our time together, you will at least have been encouraged to understand what it means to be a biblical friend, what it, under, what it means to have biblical friends, what it means to pursue biblical friends, so that your life will be enriched by the grace of God to be what Christ calls you to impart as a Christian woman. Brother, dear sisters, it's very important to understand that we go to Christ for our definition. We look at Christ's life 
and how he demonstrates friendship. We look at Christ's teaching to listen to what he says about friendship. We recognize that unless we are in Christ, we cannot be what Christ calls us to be. And if we are truly going to define biblical friendship and demonstrate it ourselves, we must have some understanding of the love of Christ for us if we're ever to reflect it to other people. And so, dear sisters, that's the backdrop. That's the, if you will, foundation of everything we're going to think about tomorrow. Where we're going to go tomorrow is to Christ in the Old Testament, who is to us wisdom. And that's why you've got all those Proverbs quotes on the table outside, because that's where we're going to spend our time tomorrow, listening to Jesus speak to us in the Old Testament regarding this great subject of biblical friendship. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus Christ. And we bless you that on the night that he was betrayed, when one of his so-called friends betrayed him, even unto death, that he instructed his apostles regarding his example and regarding his will with regards to friendship. And even as we think about that love that he had, which is eternal, that love which he had, which was perfect, and that love which he had, which was sacrificial, we pray, O oh God, that we, as we head home tonight, would think upon this, that as we consider this great calling to grow in likeness to Christ, we would see its application regarding loving one another. Right at the very heart of biblical friendship, O oh God, you have placed this grace of love. Lord, we know that it is difficult, but we know that it is delightful. And we pray that even tomorrow as we would come back together you would help us to work through from your word the difficulties and the delights that we might see something of the beauty of Christ, something of the beauty of this wonderful blessing of friendship that we, O oh God, would desire to be biblical friends and desire to have biblical friends for the glory and honour of your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.